Well, it's good to see you. I, uh, I just love the Sunday following the women's thing because everybody's just like dragging, going like, I'm still going to make it through one more service and uh, be there. But today I want to talk to you about the kingdom. You know, when we think about the kingdom, we kind of equate it to earthly kingdoms. But in the book of Matthew, Matthew really talks about the kingdom of heaven and he talks about the kingdom of God. Matthew is the only one who refers to the kingdom of heaven. He refers also to the kingdom of God. He wants us to understand something about the kingdom. Every kingdom must have some things. It must have a king. Every kingdom must have a realm. It must have something that it rules over. It must be definable in some way, and it must have citizens in that kingdom. The king is empowered to protect and empower the citizens. It's what a king does. He protects them from the realm of the enemy. The enemy we know is Satan, whose intent on your life is to kill you, if he can, to destroy you, and to lie to you. That is his agenda. That is his focus. He has no compassion. He never lets up. He doesn't give you a break because you're going through a tough time. When you're going through a tough time, he increases his focus. It's part of what it means to be in the kingdom. Citizens in this kingdom are to be servants. They are to give of their time, they are to give of their talent to this king in this kingdom. Just part of how it works. The king in this kingdom we talk about is a healer king. He comes to bring about wholeness of being. This last Friday we had a house of prayer night for the women's conference and Kevin brought his sister who's suffered from double vision for some time and though she's been examined and though she's been prayed for uh, I was thrilled after we prayed for on Friday night to receive a text from him later that his sister's double vision is gone you see that's the way things are supposed to work in the kingdom the kingdom that we live in this spiritual kingdom when we began this church we didn't begin with an agenda to see miracles, though we've seen a lot of miracles. More than our share if we took a survey of churches. Not because there's anyone here who has some special gift, but because somehow God has graced us with that, that task and that opportunity. We don't know why, but that's the way it is. So in this kingdom... In this kingdom, we're given a very simple message by the king. He looked at his disciples, and he, as he looked into them, he wanted them to understand the mandate of the kingdom, and the mandate that he gave them is exactly the same mandate he gives you and I today. And he said this simply to them. He said, I want you to go out and heal the sick. I want you to go out and cleanse the lepers. I want you to go out and raise the dead, and I want you to cast out demons, and freely that you have received, so freely give. Seems a little bit high on the standard of local church, doesn't it? 
that God would say to you as a citizen in the kingdom that you are to go out and heal the sick. And yet, why not? You are related to the king. You are created in his image. You are filled and empowered by his spirit. Why would there be anything less expected of you as a citizen within the realm? Citizens of the realm honor the king. They honor the king with their tithes, which is tribute to the king. And they honor the king when their love increases with offerings, which is anything above a tithe. That's just how the kingdom works. Now, if, that's, if you struggle with that, it is because you haven't fully understood the ramifications of the kingdom. Because everything you do in this life has a direct bearing on the life that is to come. The kingdom, you see, doesn't automatically just kind of everything shift and everything is different when you die or when you are translated into heaven should you wait for the rapture of Christ to come. It is much like this realm in your spirit man. It's just different. It's a phrase they use in Europe. It's the same but different. I never understood that until I understood it in the kingdom realm. It's the same, but it's different. That's the way the kingdom works. Every king has a crown. Revelation 19 says our king is returning with the armies of heaven, and he will be wearing many crowns. Now, so you can understand a little bit more of what the realm is like, let me explain it like this. The reason that Matthew uses the term the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is because there are distinctions between them. There's a rule in logic that says things that are different are not the same. That's pretty understandable, isn't it? Things that are different are not the same. Why would Matthew use that phrase? No other gospel writer use it, but he would also use the, the phrase the kingdom of God because he wanted to draw a distinction. Matthew is the most Jewish gospel there is, and when he came, he was addressing most of what he did, the content to the Jews. The Messiah, the king, came and he offered the kingdom to the Jews. He said, I have a kingdom for you, and I'm going to be the king. You know the scriptures that I would sit upon the throne of my father David and I would rule over the nations, that's the Gentiles. So he comes and he offers the kingdom to the Jews, but the Jews reject him. In fact, that national rejection by the Jews happens in chapter 12 of the book of Matthew. It's a turning point in the entire book. If you miss it, you'll miss the whole book of Matthew. There is in there a phrase that has caused many people a little discomfort. It is the phrase, the unpardonable sin. Everybody who's done something wrong is convinced they have committed it. Guilt is a good thing. Keeps on giving, doesn't it? The unpardonable sin was the sin that Israel committed against the Messiah when they ascribed the works of Jesus to Beelzebub, whose name, by the way, means the Lord of the Flies. That's what that means. Significant. It's very significant because how flies are birthed, how they come out of the larva of the maggot, and they feed on the dead. You can seal up a refrigerator, and that meat that's in there, somehow it will begin to spring forth 
maggots that will give birth to flies. And you say, how did they get in there? Because, remember, he's called the prince of the power of the air. You can try to seal him out by your own power. Here's the principle. But your power will not keep the enemy out of your life. Only God can keep the enemy out of your life. He offers the kingdom and they reject it. He ascribes, he says, then that which you have done, and he turns from the Jews to the Gentiles. The Bible ends in chapter 12 or begins in chapter 13 with Jesus going out of the house, but if you study the scripture, he's not in a house because the house is not a house, it is the house of Israel. He walks out of the house of Israel, and he turns to chapter 13, which will be the focus of our message today. He turns there, and he provides seven kingdom parables all related to the church, all of them. The disciples are so shocked by this, they, they look at him, and they say, why do you speak to us in parables? We're going to read the scripture in a minute, but he basically says, because it's given unto you to understand, and to them it is not given. Because there is a national rejection of the Messiah, and he turns to the Gentiles, and he raises us up to be the church. In Matthew 21, if you'll just uh, turn there with me, or listen either way if you want to, but I, uh, God got me up at 3.30 this morning. I love God. I do have a great ability to fall right to sleep, which aggravates my wife. She said, how can you sleep? And I said, I put my head on that pillow, and it happens. I don't know. And I sleep soundly. You know, they could steal everything we have, rape and pillage all residents, and I would still be sleeping. You know, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. He, he loves me much. You say, well, if I don't sleep much, does he love me? Yes, he does. He just has a different purpose for you. Your purpose is to wait awake for the bandits to come. Chapter 21 and verse 33, Jesus says this, here another parable, there was a certain householder, the householder is God, he's the owner, he planted a vineyard, the vineyard is the nation of Israel, which he planted, and he hedged it about and digged a wine press in it, and he built a tower and let it out to husbandmen, the husbandmen are the, are the prophets, it's really the period from Exodus into the period of Joshua, that's what he's talking about here. And then he went into a far country. In other words, he gave an assignment to the prophets, and the prophets were to fulfill the word of God and say, thus saith the word of God, and they were to carry that mission out, and they were to be transformational agents in the world, just as you and I are to be transformational agents in the world. And it says in verse 34, when the time came for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen. And those servants went out to the husband to receive the fruit of it, and the husbandman took his servants, that is the prophets, he beat one, that was Micaiah, that you find him recorded in 1 Kings chapter 22, and they killed another, and that was Uriah, you find him in Jeremiah 26, and then it says here that they stoned another, and that would have been Zechariah in 2 Chronicles. He thought surely the prophets of old, these major prophets, would be powerful and, and, and persuasive. And again in verse 36, he sent other servants, that would be the minor prophets, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. They beat them, they killed them, they stoned them. 
Later they would idolize him because the stones that, that they throw at the prophets while they're alive become the foundation for their monument when, when they're dead. It's that way, you know. Everyone loves Van Gogh if you're an art critic. He didn't sell any paintings while he was alive. All they can think about is Van Gogh, the guy that cut his ear off, and they don't know anything historically about the world of art. Because Van Gogh was a pastor in Belgium before he was a painter. He worked in a mining area. He was a pastor in a small mining area, and the mine collapsed, and what he did was he, he spent his life, he almost killed himself digging miners out of the coal mine. Exhausted at the point of death, sitting by the mine, the leaders of the Dutch Reformed Church showed up, and they began to ridicule him because he had become too common. He was a digger of miners instead of a pastor of men, and they fired him as pastor, disqualified because you dug miners out. Apparently, by, by tradition, by history that we read, he wasn't much of a preacher, but he was a great pastor. He tried to stay on in that little town and minister to the people, but without money, he didn't know what to do, and something snapped in Van Gogh in that moment, and he began to wander. And he went back to his art, began to draw again. Eventually, he would make his way down into southern France into a place called St. Remy, and there he would uh, begin to experience the, the pleasures of southern France, a little drink called Pasis. Pasis was a lemon drink that they would lace with cocaine. It wasn't illegal. It was common. That became a little bit too much for him, and in a, in a drug-induced stupor, he cut his ear off but was smart enough to know that this wasn't healthy, and he admitted himself into an asylum where about 50% of his paintings were painted through the bars of that asylum. In the end, it was too much for him, and, and in despair and discouragement, he found himself into the back field there and took his own life. But we make judgments about things we don't understand because mysteries to us are, are too difficult to jump into and so we leave them alone. So it says here in verse 36, they said to the servants more than the first, and they did likewise to him, but last of all they sent his son. Remember, this is a kingdom parable about the kingdom of heaven. And they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said to themselves, this is heir to come, let us kill him, and let us seize his inheritance. You see, the religious leaders said, we know who this is. But we don't want him to rule over us because we like ruling over ourselves. It's much what you do when you make decisions whether to follow God or not follow God on a daily basis where you say, no, let me seize the inheritance of heaven and let me spend it on myself rather than submit to the king and understand the kingdom. So we become rebels in the kingdom, but we try to use the name Christian or religious because it's more acceptable in our own mind and it makes us feel better about ourselves. But in, in reality, it makes us rebellious against the king and the kingdom. They caught him and they cast him out of the vineyard. They cast him out of Israel is what it means. That's why he was crucified outside the gates. And they killed him. And when the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those husbandmen? 
And here's the key. This is what ties chapter 12 and 13 to this portion of Scripture. He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and he will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, that's the Gentiles, the church, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Verse 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruit thereof. Let me talk to you a little bit about the revelation that God gives. A revelation increases the level of the mystery. Listen carefully to this message today because it's going to, it's going to get down deep into your soul if you listen carefully. If you think it's just another story, you'll miss it. Revelation increases the level of the mystery. You ever got up in the middle of the night trying to find the light? You've, you've turned it on a hundred times, but you're doing one of these things. We have a house that, for some reason, they put all the switches lower than normal. And my mind, for all my life, has been here, and it's here. So I get up in the middle of the night, and I'm doing one of these things. I know where it is. I know approximately where it is. My mind's pretty good on that. And, and finally, I, I am struggling in the mystery of finding the light switch. And it's when I hit the light switch I get the revelation. But if I don't ever struggle in the mystery, I never get the light. So it is with the mysteries of God. If you don't struggle in the mysteries, you'll never get the light. Because it's in his light that we see light. It's in his understanding you get understanding. It's in his revelation you get revelation. So Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 11, Because it has been given unto you, disciples, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You see, heaven and, and God's kingdom is not about equality. God will give revelation to some and not to others. You say, that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't matter. There's not fairness in the kingdom. There's only perceived fairness in society. There's not fairness in society either. The presence of God increases the mystery. When you enter into the, mystery, the presence of God, the mystery of God increases. You don't, it doesn't diminish. He only gets more rich, more deep, more, more mysterious in the process. But exposure to the supernatural works of God increases our capacity. The more you're exposed to the supernatural works of God, your capacity to receive revelation increases, not decreases. Your hunger for it increases. But you have to be willing to embrace mystery. That's what makes room for more revelation. See, if you don't embrace mystery, you don't have room for revelation. That's why people create all kinds of theological frameworks to try to destroy mystery because it's easier to come up with an explanation. For example, it's easier to say God doesn't heal today than to go into the mystery of healing. See how that works? So we create systems. We don't understand why some people don't get saved, so we create a system where, only, where God selects only a few. Now we've solved the mystery. Now we feel good about ourselves. But we've created a theological construct that doesn't work with the Word of God or the heart of God. But we're happy because our mind is working instead of our spirit. And we love to get our mind activated. That's why we love Google. I can't imagine a conversation in my life without Google. I love Google. 
I've, saw, I've, I've answered so many questions. I'll be talking to somebody. They'll tell me something. I said, I don't believe you. And I Google it. I believe Google. Even if they do have 1,341,000 pages on that very question, I know Google wouldn't lie to me. But I love Google because Google gives me information. It stimulates my mind, it, it, and, and I retain some thoughts, and then I can just kick them back, and people go, wow, you know a lot. Yeah, I know page one of Google. That doesn't mean I know a lot. Revelation is given to open the realm of transformation. God God opens this up so that you can be transformed. You see, if transformation doesn't happen by way of revelation, then you are doing by an act of your will. You are pushing and stretching and trying to make it work. But when God reveals something to you, it's easy. It's just simple, simple, simple. You open the realm. When you open the realm of faith, you open up, uh, open up the door of authority in your life. See, inside, the, inside this realm of faith, there is this concept of authority in the kingdom. So when you get into this faith realm, now all of a sudden you can understand what it means to act with authority, and now that command to heal the sick doesn't seem difficult because now you're in the realm of faith, and now you understand that you're an agent of transformation. So there is a realm of mystery that God has. Now listen to this carefully. God hides truth for us, not from us. Let me say it one more time. God hides truth for us, not from us. God doesn't try to keep you from truth. He hides it for you so that you will exercise that desire to find truth. Because then you have to go into the realm of mystery, and in the realm of mystery you understand the realm of faith, and then you get revelation. But if you try to bypass that, then what you get is information. And that leads to pride, that leads to arrogance, that leads to systems that get the mystery out of your life. See, Jesus said this in John chapter 16 and verse 13. He said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will reveal all truth to you. Let me say it again. He will reveal all truth. All the truth that God has, he will reveal to you in the spirit realm. He's not holding anything back, but you have to want it. You have to dig for it. You have to wander in the mystery to find it. All truth is yours. You just don't want. You've got as much truth as you want right now in your life. You've got as much as you want. You've got your capacity because of desire. Information of man is an inferior realm. See, it's a counterfeit realm. We think if we have information, we know. If we know all the books of the Bible, when I was first saved, I, I, the first month that I was saved, I read the New Testament through four times. I could memorize much of it. I began a journey in that first year of studying theology, doing this, doing that. But guess what? I had a lot up here, but I didn't have much in here. People, but people thought I had a lot in here because I had a lot in here. I could fool them, and I wasn't trying to fool anybody. I just didn't know any better because I was a new Christian. I thought everybody did that. I thought everybody waded through a 500-page systematic theology book that would kill an average man. Bill Johnson wrote this in one of his books. 
The heart of God is for partnership. He is the ultimate king who loves to empower. His heart from day one was to have a people who lived like him, loved like him, created like him, who ruled like him. From day one, God's desire has been to be with his creation as the invited landlord to look over their increased capacity to rule, making the world like his. In his world, his glory is the center. You see, in your world, your glory is the center. You think about you and what you need and what you want. But in the realm of the kingdom, his glory is the center. The more people carry his presence into all the earth as joyful servants of the Most High, the more we will be positioned to see one of heaven's major mile markers, and that is the earth covered with the glory of the Lord. Now let me give you another thought. Mystery increases your appetite for the kingdom. Matthew thirteen twelve, For whoever has, to him more will be given. That doesn't seem fair. He will have, and he will have an abundance. That doesn't even seem fair. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. That doesn't seem fair. God's not fair. The realm of the kingdom is not fair. God looks at you and says, you want a lot? I'm going to give you more. Case in point, Jacob. Jacob wanted the birthright of the firstborn. He did everything he could, every conniving, conniving, deceptive thing he could to get to steal the birthright from his brother. He did, and guess what? God gave him the birthright, the blessing of the firstborn because he had a passion for spiritual things, and his brother Esau did not. That didn't make sense. Things in the kingdom don't make sense. It's not that they're unreasonable. They're just far exceed your ability to reason. It's the only difference. There are geographical locations where people live in a greater awareness of the Spirit. I don't understand that. I, I can remember doing crusades in El Salvador. We'd go in there, and uh, we'd be on one side of the street, Tammy and I would be, and you could feel a wall of darkness. You could walk across the street, and you could feel the presence of God. This building, for some odd reason, has a geographical center of his presence. When people come to church here and, and, and they visit sometimes for the first time, they don't say that this is the friendliest church in town, though I think you're very friendly. They don't say the music is great, though I think our music is great. They don't say the sermons are average, though I think the sermons are average. You know what they'll say? They'll say, I feel something here. There's a presence here. I don't, un- what is that? What is that? little history on this building here. I want to watch the time very carefully here. I think I just have about an hour left. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll end this quick. Don't worry. This is going to be like a freight train that stops at the, at the end of the, of the, of the tunnel. It'll, it'll, it'll just stop, and we'll just start it, pick it up uh, next week. But uh, when we first came here, there was a guy that delivered mail. And if you've heard this story, forgive me, but I, it's just it fits here. There was a guy that delivered mail, and, and uh, he picked up from this post office since this post office was open in 2001. That's what this was. This was a big sorting area for mail. That was a loading dock where the trucks would back up. They'd take all the mail. They'd distribute it, bring it to your house late, and all that other stuff. And this guy walked up to me, and he said, um, he said what, you bought this building. I said, yes. He said, what's it going to be? And I said, it's going to be a church. He said, I knew that. 
said, what do you mean you knew? He was an Egyptian guy. And he said, I knew that when this building opened. I said, what do you mean you knew that? He said, I don't know. This, this building, he said, I go to all the post offices, and this one's different. Now, I don't know this guy. He doesn't know anything about what we're doing. You know, he could think we're a bunch of Lutherans or Presbyterians for all I know. I don't know. And if you're a Lutheran or Presbyterian, I, we love you. All right? Um, but he said, um, I came in here, and right about, right about there, right about where you're sitting, brother, right where you're sitting, he said there was a picture of Mother Mary laying on the ground, and there was nothing in this building. And he said, I, I just thought it wasn't proper to have brother, Mother Mary laying on the ground, so I picked it up and I taped it over on the wall in 2001. And every day he would come in and he would make sure it was still taped up and he would put more tape on it. Right? And he walked it over and showed it to me. He said, see, here it is right here. And I didn't know what to make of that. I mean, I didn't come out of a Catholic background. You know, I, I didn't... I didn't follow, you know, but I thought, you know, there's something happening here. He said, this place is different. And so I, I took the, when we started remodeling, I took it off the wall, I put it in a file, I have it in my home because I, I, I don't want to lose it. I don't know what to do with it. You ever have something like that? You know, it's, there's significant there. I don't know what to do with it. It's like, that's why you got all that junk at your house. Or, amen? You know, you get ready to move and you go, what is this for? Why did I keep that shoebox with nothing in it? I don't know. But there's, there's a certain sense of the presence of God. Let, let, me, let me show you this. God's presence lingers in some places. You can literally walk into the presence. People walk in. They, they, we, we, we own the building and we lease out part of this to the post office. They walk in thinking this is the post office and we trick them. And when they say, is this the post office? They say, come on in. We don't answer and then we pray for them, and then they put prayer things in the wall, and some of them have gotten saved, and some have gotten healed, and some have come to this church. And they walk in, and they go, this feels different because the presence lingers. Watch this. Without miracles, there can, be, there can never be a full revelation of Jesus. You see, what Jesus did, he came doing miracles, and because the works of God validated the word of God, And he gave his disciples, he gave us the assignment to go out and do what he did in greater measure, not lesser measure. If the Word of God is true, it says we should do greater things than he did. It's what he said. He said, well, I don't know about that. Well, it's kind of like the waiter that serves the meal and the meal wasn't good. And the waiter goes, hey, I'm not the cook. I'm just delivering the stuff. We're just delivering what Jesus said. That's what he said we were supposed to do. Here's another thought. God will give us, now listen to this one carefully. God will give us the measure of his presence that we are jealous to guard. You see, you, you have the presence of God, but you have to guard the presence of God. I'm not sure I've always understood this to any degree at all. I'm just starting to understand that I have to guard the glory and the presence in my life. Because I am if I am the temple of the living God, isn't it interesting that God had a lot of a lot of things that went on in that physical temple, that tabernacle of God, that it was to be guarded and protected. And wouldn't it only make sense that he would expect greater guarding, guardianship over the temple that is living and breathing and moving? You see, in the New Covenant, he never expects less. He expects more. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say unto you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. That doesn't sound like lesser. You see, under grace, there's not less. There's more. 
That's why it's so funny when people say, well, you know, in the Old Testament you had to tithe. Today I don't have to. No, you have to do more. You see, because God always expects more of his servants in the kingdom who have greater revelation from the king. The more you get, the more you're expected to do, not less. Because, see, in this realm of the kingdom, the more I do in, in terms of the kingdom work, the greater the increase comes because it comes first in my initial maybe a 20-fold return, but then as I go deeper into the kingdom, it becomes 40-fold, and then it becomes 60-fold, and then 100-fold. See, we miss out on the, what, what's happened is we've become, we've become such spiritual lightweights that what we do is we look at a story like David and Goliath, and we think we understand it, and it's a child story. We never read it. It has nothing to do with a little guy and a big guy. Nothing at all. See, it's a picture. You see, David is a picture of Christ. Goliath is a picture of Satan. You see, Goliath and his army, the Philistines, didn't want to do battle with the nation of Israel. They wanted to do battle with a man. Goliath came out and said, send me a man. Send me a man. God says, I'll be glad to to accommodate you. I'm going to send a man. His name is Jesus Christ. So David comes out. He's going to do battle there. And it's very clear when you study it because the number 666 appears in the very experience, the armor and the weight of the shield and the spear and the number of weapons he has comes out to 666. David comes out. He picks up five stones. He didn't need five. He only needed one, but the stone didn't kill him. The stone knocked him down. He killed him with the sword, if you read the Scripture. The reason is because the sword is the word of the living God. It was a picture of you won't defeat the enemy with a stone that you pick up on the ground. You'll defeat him with the word of the living God. You see the difference? And then what did he do? He took the head off of Goliath, and he carried it into town. It was a trophy, and that's why the Apostle Paul says in the the book of the Colossians, he says that he always leads a triumph over his enemies, and it was a picture of the Roman conqueror who would take the, the, uh, the chariot, he would ride it through the streets of Rome, and behind him was the conquered king in chains. He was a spectacle. He was a trophy of grace. God, what God had done. Matthew 13, let me show you this truth about jealously to guard. But blessed, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears they hear. You see, not all eyes see and all ears hear. I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it. He says, you see the prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah and and, uh, Habakkuk and some of those other ones, they wanted to see what you see, but they don't see what you see. Righteous men desire to see it, but you don't see it. The The more you look, the more you see. My mom was a great eavesdropper. She had binoculars by her front window. She was an eavesdropper. She was legit. She was an artist. She loved to look at things, and she would paint things. We have over 100 paintings in our home that she did. But she would look at things and study. The more she, saw, the more she would look, the more she would see. And, and my mom would say, look at that. And I'd look at it and go, yeah, that's cool. No, she says, look at it. I'd look. She said, what do you see? And I'd start to see some things she saw. The more you look, the more you see. The more you listen, the more you hear. 
You ever took a dog on a walk? They smell things in a bush. I don't understand. I'm not going to smell that bush. But they stop. They listen. They look. They turn their head. They scratch. They get all, I mean, they roll in things. I'm not rolling in things. Because, you see, they're operating from a, a, a sense of instinct. You have to operate from a sense of spiritual instinct in your life. You've got to know what to roll in. You've got to know what to sniff, what to scratch, and what not to. You protect what you value. If you value the presence of God, you'll protect it. If you don't value, you won't protect it. The stuff that you love, you hide. That's why it says Christ is hidden in this Ark of the Covenant inside of us. You protect it. The increase of His presence is based on your responsibility. If you want more presence of God, you have to be more responsible with the presence He's given you or He won't give you any more presence. You got all you got. You got all you're going to get. You see, you have as much of the presence of God as you've been willing to protect. And why would God give you more? You see, because what he, remember the principle of the kingdom? The one who has a lot, I'm going to give abundance to. The one who doesn't have the presence, I'm going to take from him. That's why the Bible, when Jesus said, he said, if that light in you becomes darkness, how great indeed is the darkness. Becomes like a black hole in space where the gravity inside the hole is greater than the gravity outside the hole, so it sucks all the light into it, and it becomes a great darkness. See, see, everything that God created is an illustration of how the kingdom works. That's why the Bible is a scientific book. We talked about it last week. It's a scientific book. So now it doesn't, it's not chapter by chapter science. It's when he speaks on science, he tells you, this is how it works. Okay, we're almost done here, so hang in just, a, just another 30 minutes. The increase of his presence is based on your responsibility, but the singleness of focus is rewarded with a depth of presence. A singleness of focus is rewarded with a depth of his presence. Remember, he hasn't hidden things from you. He's hidden things for you. This is a lot of good stuff, right? It's enough for today. Let's pray. Stand with me. Dear Jesus, uh, your spirit has given us much to think about, much to wonder about, and we, we want to enter into your presence. We want to jealously guard what you have given to us, what you have entrusted to us this day. As we enter into a 21-day fast, Father, we know that this fast is going to bring some, uh, not only some some movement of your spirit in us as a body, but it's going to make some movement of spirit in us as individuals. And there's some things that need to happen. There's some breakthroughs that need to happen. I, I really believe that there's just there's there's someone here today that just really is just feeling like they're in a, such an awkward place in their life, and they're trying to fit in, and they don't feel like they fit in in any world. And I just want you to know that God just just said to me just. Just follow the presence, and, and it'll all work out. You, you don't need anything else. You just need to follow the presence. You don't need anybody to even pray for you. You just need to follow the presence. Amen. You don't know where you're, 
someone else, you don't know where your money's coming from, and you're, you're just feeling empty right now, I want you to know that uh, don't worry about job right now. Worry about the presence. The presence will take care of it. If he can clothe the, the lilies of the field and take care of the birds of the air, what, what is the issue? Just follow the presence. Because in the realm of the mystery, you say, oh, I don't know what to do. That's good. That's where God wants you. He wants you in the realm of the mystery, so you find the revelation. In the revelation, you find the presence. Father, as we, uh, as we prepare for this fast, God, you are, you are stirring us in our spirit man uh, for new things. And I believe some things, the Scripture says in Matthew 17, 21, only happen by prayer and fasting. I want you all just to look at the screens right now. I, I, I wrote this declaration for this fast. I've been writing these for about a year, not really knowing what to do with them other than to share them and let you share them. But um, the collection is growing, so maybe we'll put those into some kind of a, a booklet that you can use to encourage you. But I, I want to just say this fasting. I want you to repeat after me if you would. Just, uh, Just... When you say something like this, it's a confession. Remember, the words of your mouth are life or death. When you speak life, you're pronouncing something. You're, you're making a statement. You're saying, this is going to be true in my life. Okay? I, I don't believe I've said anything in here that is going to violate what you would, would easily and fully embrace. But if I do, just don't say that word. Don't say that phrase. But let's look at it. I believe that some things only happen by prayer and fasting. The mandate that Jesus gave to fast was enabled me to move things in the kingdom to fulfill His purpose. I enter into this 21-day fast with a commitment to move mountains and draw closer to God. God has provided me everything that I need to secure my destiny as a child of God. The darkness is powerless. Let's say that like we mean it. The darkness is powerless because of the blood of the Lamb. I refuse to fear and I choose power. I live on the promises of God and I will serve the King all the days of my life. I just want you to uh, just bow your head for a moment right now. I just want you to listen to this. You create an atmosphere, either good or bad. You carry your own heaven-centered spiritual weather system that permeates the realms of authority and mystery. When you live under that atmosphere of heaven, you expose yourself and others to miracles and it changes the capacity of those around you to bring about the supernatural potential that God has stored within your destiny to change the world. You are called to be a world changer. 
a world changer. I'm going to have the the band just sing right now, and uh, I want you to 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 join in in this singing. If if you would just, uh, we're not going to take but just a minute or two to do this. If you if you have to leave, we understand, but we we just some there's something about putting praise at the end of a message in our heart that seals it because God inhabits the praises of His people. Amen. All right, let's just let's just sing together.